1: Whether it's your first step on the property ladder or your first place with stairs, from new bills to rebuilds, a new home is one of life's biggest moments. And we all know life doesn't always go to plan. That's why at Bank of Ireland, our personalized mortgages can change if your life changes. When you're ready to make a move, we're ready to make it with you. Bank of Ireland, begin. Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. Over 18s only. Mortgage approval subject to assessment of suitability and affordability. Bank of Ireland Mortgage Bank trading as Bank of Ireland mortgages is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Joy's going straight from the band trip to her mom's place. My job interview got pushed to next week. I'm not really sure what that means. Hopefully nothing. My arm... Beth, Beth, honey, honey. She failed to respond. Okay and her heart stopped. And right. unfortunately, your wife is dead. As of last night, there were five deaths and 32 cases. There's a cluster in an elementary school. Iris is fifteen to nineteen kilobases in length and containing six to ten genes. Have you ever seen anything like this before? No. And it's still changing. It's figuring us out faster than we're figuring it out. It doesn't have anything else to do. A catastrophic flu pandemic is poised to hit the globe at any moment. And if it strikes, it could reportedly kill as many people as live in the entire United States. We are four times the population we were. We are 50 times more often in the air on uh, international travel. And for some of the pathogens, we don't have a vaccine.
2: Today, the scientists said the flu has now spread to 48 states And though we seem to be halfway through the crisis, about another. The World Health Organization had been hinting about raising the alert level for some time, but it waited until the virus had spread across more than one continent. The
1: scientific and public health community knows what to do. What we need is to mobilize the public to keep the pressure on our leaders to keep the momentum going. We're just not moving fast enough. Time is a critical factor. The virus is spreading. (laughs) <sighs> Doctor Cheever.
0: I think I'm sick.
2: What? Hello and welcome to Science Ish. I'm Rick Edwards, joined as ever by Dr. Michael Brooks. Hello. And it occurred to me actually, Brooksy, that, you know, we've been doing this podcast for a while, but I'm not sure that people really know the real you necessarily. So I thought we'd just give them some interesting details. Uh what do you drive? <laughs> Golf Plus. When you're not driving the Golf Plus, what are you driving? <laughs> Why are you doing this? Just, I think it's nice for the audience, the listeners, just to get to know you. All right. They know me because they're fans of, you know, the Hollyoaks Music Show and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, from when? 2009. Yeah, yeah. I Big don't think show. they are. I don't <laughs> think they are. Not anymore. I think
0: those people have moved on. Yeah. <laughs>
2: So science-ish, anyway, uh, the, the show, you know it by now, of course, we take a piece of fiction, we ask one colossal question, we talk to one scientist, and then we have a good old chat about it. This week, Brooksy, it's your turn to lead us through the darkness. Yes. What is on the chopping block? We are going to look at the
0: 2011, almost classic, but not quite classic, Contagion. So we're going to look at pandemics.
2: Is it? I don't think it is quite a classic, is it?
0: No, it starts off really well. It's and borderline, actually, though. I think the second half of it just sort of loses its way a bit, you know. But the start of it is brilliant. So it's Kate Winslet, uh-huh. uh, is a kind of public health official. Gwyneth Paltrow is the woman who catches the virus, first of all. Basically a kind of flu virus, spreads it around. It ends up taking over most of the Western world. And uh, we move into a kind of apocalypse.
2: In Contagion, we're talking about a pandemic and the difference between a pandemic and an epidemic is that an epidemic is just a regional Yeah, it's kind of outbreak. local. Yeah. yeah, so it's like small scale and then pandemic is the big guy when it's going everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It gets all around the world. As of last night,
1: there are five deaths and 32 cases. There's a cluster in an elementary school. Okay, that's the kind of thing you're going to have to be prepared for. It's going to be all over the news big time. What's your single overriding communications objective? We're isolating the sick and quarantining those who we believe were exposed. Okay, good.
2: So what is our question for the episode going to be? Our question
0: is, are we vulnerable to another deadly pandemic? And who have we nailed down to answer this for us? only Dr Jonathan Quick so he's a senior fellow at management sciences for health he used to be a director of uh, the World Health Organization in charge of kind of essential medicines uh, basically a huge healthcare don okay. and he's just written a book called The End of Epidemics which is a terrifying read it's supposed to be about you know how we obviously we need to take certain actions to avoid another pandemic happening but actually all through the reading of it I was just thinking this is unavoidable this is going to happen it's going to be horrible Oh, great stuff Yeah I mean, I, I hope he's right and that we can avoid it But I sort of feel like history tells
2: us that we might not And so you sat him down and had a chat, right? Yes, I did Obviously, you were keen to discuss the, well, landmark anniversary The 100-year anniversary of the Spanish flu That's right Party chat uh, What did you kick off with? So I
0: started off by asking him exactly how deadly this outbreak was
1: if this current flu strain is new, why has it been designated as H1N1, and is that the same designation as the 1918 Spanish flu virus? The Spanish flu came out of, we now know, Kansas, and spread with troops across the Atlantic to Europe, and from there through the rest of the world. It's the deadliest pandemic in modern times, killing 50 to 100 million people worldwide infecting a third of the population. Wow.
0: And what actually caused it?
1: Well, the particular virus, the uh, H1N1 flu virus, is one of the common pandemic viruses. It affected people in all age ranges. Unusually, it affected the 20 to 40-year-old range, and that was part of uh, why it was so deadly. And in the end, killing four times as many people as died in the war.
0: Um, That's H1N1. I mean, what other viruses are out there?
1: Three out of four new uh, human pandemics come from an animal-to-human species jump.
2: It's a disease first detected in the gay community that has now spread beyond that, a disease experts are now calling a national epidemic.
1: Uh, With AIDS, that happened in the 1920s in Central Africa, and it slowly took off, and that was the first new human Pandemic in uh, modern times. This week saw the galloping rise of SARS, severe acute respiratory syndrome. Another virus that came out of the wild in China in 2003 was uh, SARS, severe acute respiratory syndrome. Again, a totally new pathogen, which within a matter of weeks spread from a uh, rural area in China via a hotel in Hong Kong to 27 countries.
0: Every day right now, you're seeing the numbers in China going up by hundreds. And this is something that happens when a virus just evolves naturally in the natural environment.
1: So what happens is when when humans and are close to animals that have viruses, whether it's a you know, pig that they're sharing the air with or a monkey in a forest or a bat, those viruses will, will get into humans. Most of the time, they don't make the transition. So, for example, the animal virus doesn't succeed when it gets into the human. The majority of HIV researchers agreed that the virus evolved at some point from the closely related simian immunodeficiency virus, SIV. With AIDS, there were five species jumps where a monkey virus got into a human before one stuck. So the virus has to, in a sense, evolve to survive and thrive in the human
0: and what's so deadly about these viruses what do they do to us
1: different viruses work in different ways the aids virus attacks your immune system so it makes you unable to defend yourself from other diseases other infections diarrhea tuberculosis and what we saw were diseases that we really had never seen before in that age group a variety of infections a variety of cancers and really, almost immediately, we knew that there was a, a new disease in our midst. With influenza, it, in essence, uh, melts the line of your lungs. So far this
2: year, over 14,000 hospitalized compared to 6,500 the same time last year.
0: So what is it that makes them so highly contagious and so deadly to us?
1: Well, the key thing is how uh, transmission happens. So Ebola, which is has a high horror factor, is actually... Uh, not that easy to catch because it has to be direct person to person contact.
2: Dying of Ebola is a brutal process, and for this man, a lonely one, as fearful onlookers keep their distance and ambulances refuse to pick him up until he is dead.
1: Whereas with flu, it's airborne, it gets on surfaces, we're constantly uh, feeding ourselves viruses by what we touch and then touching our face hundreds of times. That's how it happens.
2: I feel quite self conscious about how often I touch my face. You are going to come always even just more stroking now. away. Yeah.
0: <laughs> There's a great line in the film where Kate wins that says, you know, the average person touches their face two to 3,000 times a day. Why do we touch our face so often? I don't know. I, it's weird, isn't I it? I don't know. I've no, no idea, but we do.
2: particular need to. And what? Sorry, why was um Spanish flu called Spanish flu if it started in Kansas?
0: Oh, because actually, well, it spread around the world, but most countries that were suffering from it basically put press embargoes on on newspapers talking about it. So, so they kind of tried to suppress the information because it was obviously you know Ah, the end of the war. Spain forgot to put an embargo on. Spain was neutral in the war, so wasn't really bothered about you know letting information get out. So everyone just assumed it was happening in Spain and called it the Spanish flu because they hadn't heard
2: it was happening everywhere else. That's tough on them, actually. Yeah, yeah. So most of these bugs causing epidemics and and pandemics are going to be viruses or bacteria? Yeah, both. So the bubonic plague was a bacterium. Spanish flu was a virus. Okay. How nasty is flu? As a virus, then, or, or the the flu family, the flu crew, <laughs> the flu crew. Oh well, some of it is is fine, and
0: you just get over it. Like the seasonal flu that comes around, most people will have it for a few days, and and it it goes away again. But that's partly because you know it's close enough related to the flus that we've had before that our immune system can kind of learn to cope with it. You know, the problem comes when you have a completely new thing that comes along that the immune system has never seen anything like it, and that's when you get into a lot of trouble.
2: And so Spanish flu is H1N1. Isn't that the same as the recent swine flu?
0: Yeah, it
2: sort of is a
0: swine flu. The Spanish flu, we think, started with birds. So it's North American birds like domesticated and wild birds seem to have their genes within the H1N1 genome. And it's sort of, you know, been via pigs and via humans and it goes back and forth a bit. So it's quite hard to tell. You have to do quite a lot of forensic detective work to really work out exactly what this, um, you know, where this came from. So so H1N1, what what does that mean? So H stands for hemoglutin, which is the kind of lollipop-like sort of thing that sticks out of the head of the virus uh-huh. and basically is the thing that sort of breaks it into the cell yeah it's like the crowbar effectively uh-huh. uh, and the n is neuraminidase which is a chemical that it used to get out of the cell and this is the problem that hemagglutinin sort of modifies with every different kind of strain of virus basically there's 18 lots of h and there's 11 n's and they're all got different shapes the h's in particular are what we need to kind of latch onto if we're going to you know attack it with our immune system and because it changes so readily
2: then actually, you know, it's really hard to find something that will take it on. So why are these, so many of these viruses coming from animals originally then?
0: Well, so it, it's because um, what happens is you get, you know, the, these modifications of the H basically come from sort of viruses that meet somewhere, say in the gut of a pig, and they'll swap some RNA,
2: they'll swap some genes effectively, they'll have sex for want of a better expression. <laughs> for, for want of a much better expression. <laughs> you're, you're suggesting it like it's some sort of uh, romantic assignation. <laughs> like, much like, in the gut I'll meet you in the pig gut. <laughs> Nine o'clock, where's something nice? <laughs> I'll give you a bit of H. <laughs>
0: so these things just like, swap genes around, uh, which changes the molecular structure of the H, so, so they evolve. And the other thing is that viruses are very bad at copying their RNA so what happens is every time they copy, they kind of mutate and have a few sort of mistakes, which don't get corrected. So these things are just constantly evolving, constantly changing.
2: It to be chimeric in origin, virus is 15 to 19 kilobases in length and containing six to ten genes, typical of a parvovirus. virus Potentially King a mutant Kong on and Frankenstein. Kind of, how, how all oh, in oh, one. Hold on, I'll call you back. And you've got it in there, haven't you? Oh, really?
0: Look, Where'd get come away from, from here, military Alan. Military You're not a doctor and you're not a writer organism, yes i am a writer yes i am blogging is not writing <laughs> it's graffiti with
2: punctuation i am a
0: journey.
2: here's a question is it a mistake that they are bad at replicating their rna because actually it makes them harder to fight off doesn't it if they're evolving it makes one of them eventually
0: really hard to fight off so, yeah. so some of them you know will be just not, not very effective then, but from an
2: evolutionary from point an ev- of view, yeah, the, the all organi- the
0: species as a whole, effectively, if you want to call it a species, you know, it's, it's very good news. Hmm. Uh, and it means that, you know, they, they're able to sort of, you know, move between different hosts all the time so that because they're changing. So, uh, you know, they can be in a, you know, in a bird, in a pig, in a ferret. Ferrets are very big in, uh, in influenza research. In fact, it, it was a, a ferret that first told us that animal human transmission was possible. <laughs> told us. Not told us, exactly. It didn't say, by the way but a ferret sneezed in the face of a British researcher in <laughs> 1933. He caught flu, and then they realized that actually you could get this sort of transmission between <laughs> animals and humans of, of the flu. And that was where we kind of really realized that actually we were up against something. And now, you know, with so much of the world living so close to animals, or us pushing into animals' sort of habitats, you know, for new you know, accommodation and everything else, you know, we're knocking down forests. Displacing bats you know that, that come and then roost somewhere near our food stuff, you know this is a recipe for disaster
2: are bats especially deadly?
0: They can play host to all kinds of things like Ebola for instance and and you know flu viruses uh, without getting ill, so they just quite happily host these things and let them you know mutate a bit and then you know there'll be bat droppings or they'll drop a piece of fruit which is what happens in the film they drop a piece of fruit into a pig sort of fodder bin and. Trough trough we'll call it a trough if you like yeah and that's what they're called and then the pig eats it and the you know the the bat flu gets into the pig obviously you know then they have the romantic date in the stomach and uh mm. <laughs> viral sex happens and then you know then you eat the pig or you butcher the pig and you get it on your hands and oh, oh
2: dear yeah yeah you're one of the 50 to 100 million people who are dead <laughs> <laughs> i mean that scale is extraordinary That like the idea of between 50 and 100 million yeah. people dying. Yeah. Is that a one-off with Spanish flu? Or could it happen again?
0: It could happen again. So Spanish flu killed 10 to 20% of the people it infected. H5N1, at the moment, kills 50% of the things that it infects. So you get that bad boy out into the world,
2: we're in it's trouble. some damage. Yeah. According to the CDC, this year's flu has been one of the worst we've seen in years, killing scores of people, including
1: 114 children. And those numbers are still on the rise.
2: How
0: vulnerable are we to another epidemic or pandemic coming over the horizon?
1: Well, on the one hand, uh, medical care is light years ahead of where it was in 1918. We have antibiotics, which didn't exist back then. Uh, We have intensive care units. We know a lot about uh, different prevention methods. On the other hand, we are four times the population we were. We are 50 times more often in the air on uh, international travel. And for some of the pathogens, we don't have a vaccine. So in that sense, we're in the same boat that they were in 1918. The killer bug is now striking the front line of defence. Doctors, nurses and healthcare workers now make up a quarter of all victims. And SARS is becoming more aggressive. When SARS hit the world in 2003... There was no vaccine, no diagnostic, and no medicine. If there's any further outbreak of cases in the territory, I'm afraid that the public system will not be able to help. Fortunately, we were able to move quickly with public health responses and stop it. All these units and thousands more are sold. Their destination, China, and they're going to fight the SARS epidemic. It has advanced oxidation gas. But it was one flight away from getting into places it couldn't have, and it may have still be with us today.
0: So if this thing happens, where might it start, or where is it most likely to start?
1: Well, that's the thing. It could start anywhere. Uh, We have SARS out of China. We had uh, the West Africa, the Zika virus, which had slept quietly for 70 years, that we know of, and then started moving east so we don't know where it'll come from and we don't know which particular virus it is we do know the high risk areas so the bat population in latin america and in asia is a source viruses that uh, hang out in uh, the forest with monkeys and are transmitted by mosquitoes Then it's west africa is there anyone else who
0: might have had contact with her
1: this was everyone aaron barnes did barnes he worked on another floor there were documents she needed to sign. He picked her up from the airport. He picked her up from the airport? Yes. Where is he?
0: How will it spread? I mean, let's assume this thing hits a human. What, what are the mechanisms of spread that that we need to worry about?
1: There are a number of ways in which a new pathogen can spread. It can spread through, through water, which is easily containable, through direct touch, uh, like Ebola... Yeah, that also is amenable to, to quarantine. The most dangerous kind of spread is airborne spread. Where? where, where, where where's, where's the bus, Aaron? The bus, Aaron? Um, uh, Lake and Lindale. Can you tell me what's Lake and Lindale. I really need you to get off that
0: bus. What's the nightmare scenario? Is it somebody getting infected from an animal and getting on a plane and just traveling across continents, you know, and coughing through the cabin? Is that the, kind of the worst situation?
1: The worst case scenario is an airborne virus that starts pretty much anywhere, but particularly in a highly populated area in which people then travel to different parts of the world and it spreads before you know what's going on. That's exactly what happened with the SARS virus. One doctor from rural China comes to the ninth floor of the Metropole Hotel in Hong Kong And he's infected a dozen people who have infected eventually 8,000 people. So that's the scenario. I want you to get off now and stay away from other people. No, no, what do I do? Don't talk to anyone. Don't touch anyone. That's the most important thing.
2: How realistic is the depiction of of an outbreak in Contagion? really realistic. So
0: he says in his book...
2: uh, I was hoping they'd sort of amped it up a bit. No, no,
0: they haven't amped it up at all. He says in his book, it's it's kind of basically health professionals in this field think that it's a completely accurate depiction of what could happen. Oh, wow.
2: So are we really... Right for the taking.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're absolutely ready. So, you know, we have created, with the kind of global connectivity we have, the number of international flights, uh, the fact that people live together in cities, you know, in close quarters, you know, that so many of the population live in close quarters with animals You know, around the world. Uh, we're moving into new habitats where, you know, like, as I said, bats are, you know, just sort of hanging there in the trees waiting to infect us. So Bill Gates has actually said that, you know, we've got the perfect transmission scenario in place already with the way that the world works well done us <laughs> and he, uh, he, so he sponsored a study that said in a hundred days once we got you know if, if that happened we could have three quarters of a million deaths within a hundred days so this
2: uh, like a flu-like virus, yeah, flu like yeah, virus yeah yeah, yeah, if,
0: if it breaks out if the wrong thing basically if the you know the wrong pig meets the wrong bat kind of thing and then in 200 days it was again a bit like a rom-com <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe they didn't pitch this (laughs) film as a rom-com. Two hundred days, so less than a year. Thirty million people—that's the worst-case scenario. That's
2: magnifying up pretty quickly, isn't it? Yeah, yeah.
0: It's just cascades, you know, because everyone is so in contact with everyone else these days, and you know, there's so many flights. You get on a flight, you know, you're you're infectious for you know days before symptoms come. It's it's spreading before you're even aware that you're ill.
1: You ever seen anything like this before? No. And it's still changing. It's figuring us out faster than we're figuring it out. It doesn't have anything else to do. So we have a novel virus with a mortality rate in the low 20s. No treatment protocol and no vaccine at this time. That is correct. From here on out, I want no one working on this except the PSL4. The last thing we need is for this thing to walk out of the lab on the bottom of someone's ship.
2: So far, we've kind of blamed all of this on animals. But we're doing some stuff in labs, aren't we? That could be a problem. Yeah, I mean, so I
0: mean, before we get onto the labs, I have to say that one of Jonathan Quick's big bugbears is industrialized food farming. So he says the way we're farming, like you know, they have these things in in the states. Uh, where they have like industrial off scale things with pigs and chickens and everything
2: all together. Yeah, those kind of mega farms. Yeah, massive they won't things that allow you to see
0: ever yeah, because you'd be so yeah, horrified. Yeah, he <laughs> says they are horrific and they are the perfect breeding ground for the next pandemic basically. So there's you know there's that the the fact that we, our farming practices aren't ideal. And then there's you know the possibility that scientists will um be sort of working with these viruses and then accidentally release them which has
2: happened Time and again have to well, say luckily um, those farming practices um, aren't allowed in the UK because we're in the EU oh God <laughs> <laughs> but you know we've got a history of releasing you know
0: releasing uh, SARS the Chinese researchers killed uh, actually one of them killed their own mother with the SARS virus by you know bringing it out of the lab by accident mm, a woman by, in... <laughs> by accident sure <laughs> a 1978 woman died of smallpox in Birmingham uh, because uh, it got into the air conditioning system of the university. Uh, we, we had the U.S. military accidentally ship live anthrax spores around the world. I mean, this is basically just human error, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, mm. you know, human error is a, is a problem. But then, you, you know, what about bioterror? So people specifically designing kind of weaponized yeah. viruses. Yeah. So you could have somebody, say, with a smallpox virus, And actually, you know, after the breakdown of the Soviet Union, lots of bioweapons scientists did go missing. They're not all accounted for. So we don't know where they are and whether they just sort of took some money from somewhere to go and and carry on the research somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, So you could have somebody weaponizing uh, smallpox and you just need to be carrying spores with you effectively, Uh, walk into a crowded market or whatever and just release them. And, you know, you're just going to kill Hundreds of people there,
2: and then it's just going to spread out. And 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 the the ambition—if you're a bioterrorist uh, and you're listening, uh, hello—then <laughs> um, you'd want it to be airborne, wouldn't you? And then yeah, yeah, then yeah. you're done. And, and yeah, exactly. And you're presumably, all of this stuff is getting cheaper and cheaper. Touching to do your as face well. again, oh ah, Shit! <laughs> I've just got a little itch. <laughs> Give me some of that sanitizer.
0: <laughs> so, are we ready for this?
1: No, we're not prepared to prevent or to respond to the sort of pandemics which could be happening. We're not doing all of the things that we need to be doing in terms of of developing um, better vaccines, but also only one out of three countries worldwide have the systems in place to prevent outbreaks with mechanisms that we know, mosquito control, good hygiene, detect when they happen and rapidly respond. Only one out of three countries.
0: How does that make you feel?
1: It makes me feel really frustrated and angry because we know what to do. The scientific and public health community knows what to do. What we need is to mobilize the public to keep the pressure on our leaders to keep the momentum going, which has been good.
2: In August, the World Health Organization declared Ebola an international public health emergency and published a roadmap to guide a global response to stop ongoing transmission within six to nine
1: months. We have had a really good momentum after Ebola to get countries aware and to lay out a much clearer roadmap. Three months down the line, there's both good and bad news, creating uncertainty on the achievement of this goal. We're just not moving fast enough. Time is a critical factor. It took 15 years for the world's leaders to decide to eradicate smallpox. 30 to 40 million people died while that debate was going on, mostly the poor and voiceless in Africa and Asia. And as the medical professionals will tell you, it's uh, going to be extremely uh, difficult to get it down to to zero. Uh, it's going to require. Do you
0: actually think things are going to change? I know you're working for it and you're campaigning and trying to make things happen. How confident are you that you will succeed in stopping us from sleepwalking into the next disaster?
1: So a lot of people now are are going to sit back and say this is impossible. But what I've seen is. When hardcore group of stakeholders get the message and keep moving that things do change. And I think the group that could make the biggest difference actually is the business sector. It's actually the the business sector that has the most to gain from keeping the pandemic threat under control and the most to lose if they don't. Lloyd's of London three years ago did a Uh, survey of the 300, it was called a 301 city report, looking at the next 25 years and said, what are the things that could really whack the economy? Number one was a financial meltdown in the markets. Number two was pandemics. And so I think once those that tend to have a little bit longer perspective really understand the threat and support the sort of action that's needed, and I think that'll be a combination of Citizens and the business sector will build the momentum that's needed, and I do think we'll succeed.
2: So, come on then. What do we need to be doing to avoid another
0: pandemic? I mean, he's put together a seven-step plan, but uh, basically, he wants our, our leaders to act like the outbreak has already started. So, so a sense of urgency, because mm. we, you know, we go through this sort of cycle of panic over an outbreak that we've seen is is happening. And then in between outbreaks, we just become complacent again and just like, oh, okay, well, there's nothing to worry about right at the moment. So um, we need to kind of get out of that and be, really be starting to prepare. To just properly. be proactive. Yeah, be proactive. So that involves things like obviously making uh, us ready for vaccines. You can't develop a kind of general vaccine against influenza because it mutates so fast. Although there is hope actually of something that they're calling the universal vaccine, which latches onto the stalk Of the the uh, H bit, basically, rather than the head of it, which is what Ah. we take the most. So there is hope that you you know you can possibly create a universal vaccine that will be useful. But generally, if you prepare a vaccine now against influenza, yeah, it ain't of any use next year. That's why you have to renew the general sort Mm -hmm. of vaccine every year. But you can prepare the facilities for producing vaccines. For instance, you can have those ready to go once we've you know managed to create a vaccine. It's difficult. It takes time to make a vaccine as we found with Ebola. And, uh, and so uh, once it became a threat to the West, basically, Ebola vaccine was developed in 2016 very quickly. Mm. And production, you know, took some time. So we want public people to be holding leaders accountable and really pushing for it, because that's something we saw with Is HIV it, AIDS. AIDS, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, you know, making sure that the pharmaceutical companies don't charge a fortune for these things. So holding everyone to account over the whole thing. Education. Uh, surveillance. I mean, it's really important to be looking out for these things. One of the problems with SARS was that the Chinese government basically suppressed information about what was going on, and the WHO had to crowbar their way into China to find out you know, that this thing was raging through you know, various areas of China. Funding vaccines and virus spotting, he reckons about a dollar a person per year for 20 years, and will pretty much neutralise the threat of the next pandemic in terms of that. You know, that's what you think it'll cost. So there's all kinds of sort of different points to Dr. Jonathan's plan, and hopefully he'll get it off the ground and people will take him seriously. Certainly he has the ear of a lot of important people, so hopefully we'll sort of start to move towards being ready for this. There's a sick congressman
1: from Illinois in DC. He was in Chicago over the holiday. They're using the pod to fly him home, then they're closing down Midway and O'Hare. The governor there is calling out the National Guard. They're setting up roadblocks. They're shutting down the Board of Trade, public transportation. Even the Teamsters are pulling their drivers off the road. People are still going to slip through, you know. Yes, they will. The Secret Service is moving the president
2: underground. So what do we think then? Are we vulnerable to another deadly pandemic?
0: We absolutely are. I mean, this is absolutely going to happen within probably the next sort of 20 years, maybe 30 years, unless we change the way we live and we change the systems that are in place to kind of deal with the threat.
2: So I'm just touching my face over here. <laughs> next week, we'll be getting to the bottom of whether altruism really exists with the film Seven Pounds. Science Ish is a Radio Wolfgang production presented by me, Rick Edwards and Dr. Michael Brooks. The producers were Cormac McAuliffe and L Scott. Sound designed by Ivor Slayer Manley. Special thanks to Dr. Jonathan Quick. If you like the show, please subscribe and rate or review us uh, wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at science underscore ish or check out our website, scienceish.org. <laughs> So my view is that people think they get flu more often than they do. For example, not that long ago, my sister-in-law was claiming to have flu, and I said, "Oh, you don't have flu, you've got a cold, and she started crying. <laughs> was I
0: wrong? A cold is a virus, flu is a virus, mm-hmm. it's a different kind of virus, so unless you're going to do a, a viral analysis, you know, take, yes, some time, take, take some blood next time, take some blood. blood. <laughs> <laughs> Stop crying. <laughs> Stop crying, you're just going to feel a shock just expose scratch. a vein. <laughs>
1: everyone, it's Dr. Linda Papadopoulos here, and I want to tell you quickly about my new podcast series, The Psychology Behind. It's a weekly series, and every week we tackle a different psychological issue. Now, this is done by kind of looking at those day-to-day issues that affect us all, from not being able to stand up to our boss, to not feeling great about our bodies, to having trouble sleeping at night. What we do is we look at the newest research in the field, and then we try and use that research in a practical way to give coping techniques to help everyone who's listening cope. So join me. Every Tuesday in Discovering the Psychology Behind, you can download on Apple Podcasts, on Audioboom or wherever you get your podcasts. Our best ever Sky Black Friday offer is here. Get SkyQ with the TV you love all in one place. And ultra-fast Sky Broadband for our best Wi-Fi all around your home. Plus, you can choose from Sky Sports or Sky Cinema. All for just €55 a month for 12 months. Don't miss Sky's best ever Black Friday offer. Just search Sky Black Friday. New customers only. Availability, subject to location. Minimum term and further terms apply. For more info, see sky.ie slash speeds. Offer ends November 30th.